beautiful. You are listening to More Than a Crown, where you will learn, feel understood, and be encouraged alongside believer, child advocate, ice cream connoisseur, and former Miss USA, Sarah Rose Summers. Today we have fellow TCU Horn Frog, wife, believer, New York City-based travel and fashion blogger, and my friend Jasmine Elias Boswell. Thank you so much for coming on More Than a Crown. Woo, thank you so much for having me, and go frogs. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Oh my goodness. So for those of you that are at home and listening and are curious who you're listening to today, when I was getting ready for this interview, I was thinking of a word to describe Jasmine. And so many come to mind, you know, joyful, smiley, free-spirited, encouraging, but I'm going to go with welcoming because, I mean, just based on how we even met each other, you were just so open and welcoming and you truly are a beautiful example of like women supporting women and girl power and just including others. It's so beautiful. Thank you so much. You're so sweet. (laughs) That really (laughs) makes me feel so good. That's something that I've always tried to do is make other people feel included. And honestly, as a kid, I just didn't think there was any other way to do things. And so that's something that I've always wanted to make sure that everyone around me made sure they felt special and that they were a part of whatever we were doing. So that really makes me feel special to know that that is accomplished. Absolutely. And you do it. It's so genuine. So it's truly beautiful. Do you remember how you found me? Because I know from my perspective, I got a message from you when I was Miss USA because I was traveling a lot. And at the time you were living in Korea. But how did you find me in the first place? Do you remember? Sarah, I think you found me. I think you slid I found my you? DMs. Yes. I slid into your DMs? You I thought did. it was the other way around. No. Stop. <laughs> you That's <slid>. awesome. <laughs> you slid into my DMs when I was living in South Korea. So every time I tell people about like my friends, everyone always asks like, oh, how's New York? Have you made friends? Like, do you have a good community? And I'm always like, It is unreal how connected my life is with so many people here that I had no idea. And that, like, you come to mind when I say that because I think our lives are so intertwined that it was kind of God's way of saying, how have you guys not met before? Like, it's finally time, guys. But when I was in Korea, you slid into my DMs saying... Okay, I just (laughs) scrolled all the way back. I just scrolled. proof? Roof screen. It says, so I think maybe I followed you and commented on your posts first. Maybe. But you DM'd me. You said, hey, gorgeous, are you a TCU alum too? And then I sent you a TCU horn frog gif. Okay, so maybe it was like a comment on a photo about TCU. I'm so weird. That had yes, to be probably. It was something TCU related that I remember. And I was like, what? I don't remember seeing her on campus. And so I was so confused by it. And then I remembered, um, what did I see? It was something, I just remember something TC related that sparked it. And then I was so surprised because TC was not a big school. And I feel like you may not know everybody, but everybody is a familiar face. And so when I saw that, it was like, wait a minute, (laughs) are we friends already? Did I miss this? (laughs) Basically, yes. Meant to be. Yeah. And then, (laughs) like crazy enough, we had zero plans of moving to New York at that time. Like zero plans. That was not something that was in the works. It was something that I probably said jokingly while we were in Korea. 
And then I moved to New York and you were here. And somehow our, our friend groups even kind of collided, which was crazy. <laughs> and then, then we found out that your husband was from my hometown, which when I tell people I'm from Sugarland, half of the people were like, oh, you made that name up. And I'm like, no. <laughs> like Yeah. Yeah. I, when I first met David, he, who's my husband, he even said, oh, you're from Sugarland? Is there Mayor Gumdrop in town? <laughs> <laughs> Which, I love it. I know. Such a dad joke, David. Such a dad joke. A bad oh dad joke. <laughs> it's fantastic. But it makes sense why you're so sweet. Aww. <laughs> um, so for people that are listening and they're thinking, oh my gosh, she lived in Korea. Um so I get that. <laughs> yeah. Share your story of how you guys ended up there. So David and I got married. And David is in the U.S. Army. So he was a Black Hawk medevac pilot. And shortly after we got married, and by shortly, I mean right before we got married, he got orders to move to Korea. And so we knew that our timeline for planning a wedding was shortened. And so because I wanted him to be in the States while we were planning our wedding, while we had our wedding, so we can kind of enjoy those moments together, um, those options were on the table as either he went ahead and left to Korea early. And I stayed back for an extra six months planning our wedding and get, getting everything ready. And then he would fly back. Basically, we would get married and then we'd both fly to Korea, which sounded super stressful to me and sounded like so many moving pieces. So we planned our wedding in about five months and it worked out. I always wanted a New Year's Eve wedding. So we got married on New Year's Eve. And then right after we got married, we moved to San Antonio and lived out of a hotel for about two and a half, three months, because before moving to Korea, he had to take a course at the army base in San Antonio. And then from there, we took our delayed honeymoon and we went to New Zealand and Fiji and it was magical. And then we packed up and went to South Korea where he was stationed for two years. And so since we were married, we were both able to go. Honestly, the army made that part really easy because they come to your home, they load everything up for you, pack it all up and honestly ship it over to South Korea. Um, from there, we stayed in a hotel for another two months while searching for an apartment and waiting for all of our stuff to get there. So for the first half year of our marriage, we honestly lived out of hotel rooms and out of suitcases, which <laughs> I cannot imagine. Oh, it was interesting to say the least. Um, <laughs> it was fun at the beginning because it was new, it was fresh and exciting, but it gets old really fast, especially when you're just cycling through the same clothes out of a suitcase. You have no idea where most of your worldly belongings are and you just honestly are waiting around for either to find an apartment or for your stuff to get there. I mean, we packed suitcases for the season that we were in, which was winter. And by spring, we didn't have any spring clothes. And so by summer, we were kind of just, you know, rolling up our winter jackets that we were still trying to pass for summer clothing. Oh, wow. I know. And then by the time everything came in the summer, like we were able to enjoy a couple months of summer and then, you know, would cycle through our winter clothes again. So it was, it was definitely stressful, but um, it was definitely an adventure. People always ask, how Korea was. And I think the best response is it was an adventure. So I know you definitely have some funky stories of your blogging career while you were over there. 
like trying yes. to work with brands while you were in Korea. Can you share one of those? Oh my gosh, of course. So something to keep in mind is that I am a US-based blogger. And so most of my audience is US-based, which is 14 to 16 hours, depending on where you are in the States, time change from South Korea. So for me to have any kind of email communication, I would have to stay up. I usually stayed up until around two or three in the morning because if I emailed during the day, then there's usually a day lag between every response. And if it's something working, which everything was working on a timeline, if it was a shortened timeline, then I just didn't have that day to spare because anything that was mailed to me, which everything had to be mailed and shipped because content wise, the stuff sold in South Korea was not the same as US. So I couldn't go and find the newest lotion from Neutrogena in South Korea because honestly, they don't have it. It's a completely different formula, a completely different brand. So everything, every product, everything I had to do was mailed to me, which the fastest time frame something could get there to me is seven to 10 days. And <laughs> this wasn't just like throw it in the mail because it was going to South Korea. So if a brand needed to mail me something, they had to go through a process. They had to go and fill out paperwork. They had to go to a U.S. post office and sign things off, which kind of meant I was asking people to jump through hoops for me. And so <laughs> it's kind of tough to ask for special treatment with a brand that you don't have an existing relationship with because it's very much like courting for dating. You want to be on your best behavior and you want to impress somebody in the beginning. And then once you become more comfortable with, enough, with one another, then, you know, then it's more okay to start asking if you need help here and there. And this is totally a personal thing. Some people are very calm and comfortable up front. But for me, I want to put my best foot forward. And I just, I had a lot of reservations asking for special treatment right off the bat because I didn't want to be that girl. So if the brand did not ship with USPS, or if I was just meeting the brand, then I would either send it to my parents' house or my mother-in-law and then beg them to ship it out to me as soon as possible, because it would be X amount of days for the brand to ship it to my mom or my mother-in-law on top of the seven to 10 days it would take for me to get to Korea. So I could only agree to projects that had, you know, extended periods for their content turnaround, which as many people know that are in this industry, a lot of times people will send you product and ask for a three to five day turnaround. And if that was the case, I simply had to say no. And that kind of was you know, it wasn't great. It wasn't fun to say no to projects that you wanted to do, but just were unable to, but I knew it was what it was. And that just wasn't meant for me at the time. And so I just had to kind of jump through a lot of hoops, but if I could jump through those hoops, then I made it happen. It's so interesting. And as one of your followers, it's not anything that I would have even thought of. Good. Of, oh my gosh, <laughs> she's probably having to get this stuff mailed to her. Yeah. It's just so bonkers. And I, I'm happy to hear you say that because I feel like a part of my job was to make it a seamless process. I didn't want to complain. I was grateful to have this job and I didn't want to make it as if 
you know, it was a daunting task because it was something that I'm very thankful for to even be doing this. And so I was thankful that I even had the opportunity to work with a brand or thankful for them to even notice me and want to work with me. So that was something that I definitely took to heart. And I never wanted to complain because I also had this very big rule of thumb that I don't think I try not to complain about something unless I have a different solution about something. Cause I don't want to add to the problem. I want to add to the solution. And so for me, I definitely just would take a step back. And if I could figure out how to make it work, then I would make it work. I think there was this one time that I had to do an in-store activation. And that was the only part of this campaign that I was like, how do I make this work? And I had my sweet mother-in-law go into a store and film the activation and I just put music to it. And I was like, just don't show your hands and just <laughs> show the product on the, on the shelves because that's what they wanted. They just wanted you to see the product on the shelves in their new display. And so I had her go and take multiple videos for me and I picked the best one. I put it to music. I edited it a little bit and it worked. <laughs> Oh my goodness. What a great mother-in-law relationship you have. Truly. She's not a Barb, so I'm thankful for that. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Poor Maddie and Barb and Peter. Unfortunately, that one's already over, but truly, truly, maybe fortunately, because that would be rough. Seriously. That is so funny. Where is she based? Your mother-in-law? She is in Alabama. Oh my goodness. That's awesome. I I love that she was so supportive. I think a lot of times for other generations, like older generations, even my my own parents, my dad specifically is like, so what do you do? What are you doing? (laughs) And so for her to help you do it is just awesome. That's great. I think sometimes she still has those questions, but I was very (laughs) specific and I basically gave her a content brief and was like, walk into the store, turn your camera on when you're here and film this. I tried to be, make it as easy on her as possible and not leave any questions to be asked because it was not something that I could ask her to reshoot because the fact that she even did it in the first place was amazing. And I know personally that I am very much a perfectionist and that was something that I've really had to struggle with and learn to let go in situations like that because, I mean, it wasn't that I just gave up on it, but I knew that what I got was the best that I could get given the circumstances and I had to make the most of that, which probably was the biggest struggle for me because it definitely... It was not easy to let go of. I mean, even shooting content, being in South Korea, um, it's just a different setting. It The seasons are beautiful, but it's also just such a different setting. It's a different culture. Like everything is so different. And so even shooting content outside um, posed challenges because in my mind, I I create this image and I do this with every campaign. I create this image of how I want it to look. And it was very different in Korea because I, I wasn't able to really fulfill my images and whether that being props, if I use props Mm -hmm. for the shoot, or if I use certain locations, or if I just wanted like a, a modern apartment to shoot it in, like none of those things were accessible to me. Um, and of course there were different props accessible and that's where I just had to get creative and find things and go out into the Korean market and see what I could use. But it's also a very different culture, very different style, very different furniture styles and 
decor styles. And so I just really had to get creative and learn to let go of that perfectionism and just be a little bit more open (laughs) to what I can do and make sure that I just do the best with the given circumstances. Absolutely, which is what you have to do. And at the time, were you guys living on base when you're in South Korea? No. So um, you have the option. Well, not everyone has the option. Some people have the option of living on base versus out in the community. And some people are just told they live on base. And that usually depends on um, whether you are in Korea on deployment or just you're stationed there. Also, depends on how filled the um, apartments on base are. And at the time we were given the option, which I'm very grateful for because I did not want to live on base. I figured if I was going to be in Korea, then I wanted the full experience. I wanted to live out in the community. So we did end up finding a high rise apartment and we were the only Americans in our building. I think a couple months before we moved out, maybe three or four months before we moved out, we saw one other American family move in Um, but we never met them because these buildings are huge. I think I just saw them in the parking garage once. So it's like spotted Americans down the hall. Oh my goodness. Did you drive while you were there? I did. In the parking garage. I did. Oh my goodness. I drove, my car is a literal emoji. So fun story. My car is tiny, like golf cart size. So I paid half tolls and half price parking because my car was basically half size, which is a very, it's a very <laughs> common car in Korea. Um, we joked that we would bring the car back to the U.S. just because we would miss it. But I don't think it'd actually be legal to drive here because there's no way that car would hold to the U.S. standards on the road. Oh, my goodness. And there's no way in the U.S. you'd get half price anything for a car. <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely no, not. No, no. Yeah. Like think especially in New York. Size. Oh, for sure. I mean parking Full would be price a breeze, but <laughs> yeah, definitely <laughs> not. Not something I wanted to keep around. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, I'm glad that you guys got to live off base and fully and like immerse yourself in the culture. But I'm sure it was really difficult. And I know you've briefly talked to me about this before, about not necessarily having the community there. Like I'm sure communicating with, like you said, people in your building would be difficult and then other wives maybe that were living on base. How did you handle not having your community with you for those few years? So if someone were to ask me what the hardest part about living in Korea was, it'd probably be that. Um, I'm a very social person. I really enjoy communicating with people and just interacting with others, very much an extrovert. And so that was really challenging for me because, of course, I lived in a building where I didn't have a lot of other people that I can talk to because there was a language barrier, which is a pretty big thing. Um, I'd, we had this beautiful lake that I'd always go out and walk to and I'd try and smile at everyone I can thinking I'd spark up conversation. And every once in a while there would be, um, a Korean national that would stop and communicate with me, honestly, because I wanted to practice English, which I welcomed. Oh. Yeah. I was, I was like, please talk to me. I will, I will talk your ear off. Even if you don't understand me, that's fine. But every once in a while, I would have conversations with Korean nationals. And it was just very basic conversation trying to, you know, they were trying to practice English, which I understand. It's a very common thing for Korean nationals to come up to Americans and just, you know, have small, casual, how are you? Hi, my name is so-and-so. 
and the conversations usually ended around there. So I lived about a 10 to 15 minute drive from the army base, which is super close, you would think. But most people actually lived on base or lived a three to five minute drive from base. So sometimes, and this is my own personal view because I, I don't know, I create bubbles around me. 15 minutes for some reason seems so long after a while, but I made this drive to base all the time because that's where most people lived. And most people chose to live on base simply because they had children and their children would go to the schools on base and to be picked up by the school buses. It just made it easier for them. So um, living off base, I think was less of the norm than living on base was most people wanted to live on base and be closer to the U S community and on base there's shopping, there's grocery stores, there's what we call a PX, which is kind of, you would think like a Walmart style place where you can buy tons of American goods. So it does provide some U S comfort, which is really nice. Um, but I did spend a lot of time on base, but I, it was very different. So David and I were newlyweds and we were, I think there was only one other couple that I knew of maybe two or three that didn't have children. By the time we left, we were the only couple I knew that didn't have children. There was one other couple that moved six weeks before we left that, we're also newlyweds and didn't have children. And we were like, oh, if only you guys could have been here two years ago <laughs> because you just have this immediate connection. I think almost every single day I was asked, so when are you having children? And I would be asked by Korean, Korean nationals. I'd be asked by the military wives. I mean, everyone would just ask, when are you having children? Which as a woman, it almost made me feel like that was my only purpose. And so I think mm -hmm. there were times that I even struggled with identity because if all these people are looking at me and thinking, well, why don't you have kids yet? Or when are you having kids? I just wanted to hold up this big sign and say, I'll have kids when I'm ready, but I'm so much more than just that. And <laughs> I think that that was a real struggle for me because there's also this preconceived notion about military wives. And it really makes me sad because I think that military wives, some of them are the strongest women I've ever met. And I just, I'm so amazed by them and think that they're such unsung heroes. Um, but then there's the flip side and there's some that are kind of bullies, to be honest. I'll, I'll be completely upfront here that I've never experienced bullying until I became a military wife, which blew my mind. Huh. And then, right, you'd think that there would be such a sense of community in that. You would think that. But then what I realized is that a lot of these women that were, for the most part, bullying others were because they were bullied themselves. Like a few opened up to me later um, and sharing their stories about really how just somebody really put them down and made them made them feel lesser than and it's so unfortunate that that's a cycle, but that is something that's prevalent in the community. And I realized that these women were hurting others coming from hurt places and they just needed someone to talk to and hear them out and see them for who they are. And so that was something that I also had to kind of take with a grain of salt. I had to, and it was harder because I've always had thick skin, but I think I had to constantly remind myself that, you know, if somebody says something that isn't kind to you, 
that person is the one that needs extra kindness. And that is so much easier said than done. But that was something that I constantly had to remind myself of is like, don't dish it back, like be kind, add an extra dose of kindness to them as hard as it is, as much as you need to bite your tongue in this situation. Because there were many times that I just wanted to be like, excuse me, (laughs) Um, what? (laughs) But I really did try and bite my tongue because I knew at the end of the day, that if somebody is putting me down and they don't even know me, then it's clearly not about me. And so I tried to be the Mm. bigger person in most of these situations, but it definitely does weigh you down when you, when someone isn't nice to you or when someone passes judgment on you, which unfortunately is way more common than I ever imagined in the community. But again, on the flip side, there's some women that are so incredible they're so amazing and they do so much and give up so much of their life and so much of their time to serve others, to serve their family, to serve their spouse. And they're such incredible human beings. So there's definitely both in the mix. And you just kind of have to be careful with who you hang around with, unfortunately. And you kind of have to be aware of your own mental capabilities and mental strength. And, you know, remind yourself at the end of the day that nobody else can tell you who you are. You are who you are and you can always better yourself. I think all of us can better ourselves at the end of the day, but you just kind of have to be strong for yourself in a lot of those situations, especially in an environment like I was in and not to paint the military on a bad note because that's not what I'm trying to do. Um, It's very different to be overseas than it is in the U.S., Because being overseas, you're really stripped from a lot of comfort. So a lot of people are already trying to find their place and trying to make this unknown comfortable. And that's not an easy thing to do if you do appreciate your comfort, if you are very much a homebody, which a lot of people are. And I think that's incredible. But it's hard to make a comfortable space in unknown territory. And so I think that's something that you know, you really had to be mindful of while being over there. But, you know, and again, Korea is such a small area. If you're based in the U.S., then you can go to a workout class and you see regular people. You see, you can incorporate yourself into different classes. You can go to different churches. You can go to different events versus in Korea. There, you can, but they'd all be in Korean. And, you wouldn't exactly understand what's going on unless you spoke the language. Um, and it's just, there's not as many outlets as there are in being stationed in the U S or honestly, right. anywhere that you can communicate. Seriously. And I mean, for you to have been put in this unknown new area, of course you love to travel and you love to immerse yourself in different cultures to learn, but you were also a newlywed. So you guys were like getting used to being together and being married at at all at the same time. Correct. Like something that <laughs> wowzers. Yeah, like I always look back and I don't think that there was such a change. So many changes. It wasn't just one. It was literally everything in my life changed overnight. We got married and David and I didn't live together before we got married. That was something that we chose to do. We just, you know, that was our beliefs that we wanted to uphold. And so 
we moved in together all at once. We, I basically said goodbye to all of my friends, my family, my community. And I had this amazing bubble in Dallas. All my friends were right next to me. They were either my neighbors in my apartment building or short walk down the road. Um, and so saying goodbye to all of that was really hard. And of course, it's not goodbye forever. It's just see on FaceTime. But, you know, saying goodbye to everything that I was used to and honestly starting from a clean slate in a foreign country that with so many unknowns was so much change that I, I wouldn't recommend. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it's, it was such a good base for you guys to build your relationship on. Like obviously here you are now. Absolutely. And so yeah, no, it's it's very different. It's I think that it really strips you down to your core and it makes you realize like what's important and kind of start from this ground up to really building a foundation as a marriage. And I mean it wasn't easy. It's not easy changing your lifestyle and moving in with somebody else and getting used to different habits. It's definitely fun, but there's, it comes with its challenges as well. You have to get used to other people. You have to get used to sharing everything and sharing spaces, sharing closets. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, (laughs) the closet of the closets. Um, but you know, and it's to have all these changes at once. I think in some ways it did make it easier because, It wasn't like, you know, sharing a sink space is a huge deal because that is so minor in comparison to all the other changes going on. That's interesting. Yeah. So I think in some ways it does make it a little bit easier, but in other ways, I think that you have to have such a strong mindset and you really have to know who you are in moments like that to kind of go out feeling strong and make the most of it because I could, I could definitely see how it could spiral into something else. It, I mean, it's a lot of change. And if you're not good with change, then it'd be a really tough thing. Right. I, I can only imagine. So you guys were there for two years, right? Correct. After two years of living in South Korea, you guys were going to pack up and come back. What did living there teach you as a person? So I think one of the biggest takeaways from living there um, that I learned about myself is how much I value community and how much I value friendships. That was what I really needed in my life over there. I missed it so much. And like right now we're all social distancing and communicating with one another on the phone and FaceTime and all these amazing resources that, you know, people in the past didn't have. So I'm very grateful for it. But at the same time, face-to-face interaction is so valuable to me. And I read the five love languages and mine is quality time, which really, I mean, is so apparent in my life now. And when I was living in Dallas, when I was going to TCU, when I was in high school, like I involved myself in so many clubs and so many outlets. I had amazing friends, like this amazing group of friends. And looking back on it, I had human interaction with different friends multiple times throughout every single day. And I didn't realize how important that is to me. 
um, just seeing others and I feed off of other people's energy. Like that is something that I've noticed about myself and I miss that so much. I realized how much I need that in my life to stay positive. It really does put me in the best mood to hang out with friends, even if it's for like 10 minutes to walk to Starbucks and grab a cup of coffee together. Like for me, that goes such a long way. And that's something that I learned about myself is that I really need that in life. I really need somebody. If I see something funny in the street, I need to be able to pick up my phone and have at least five people to text it to and have a laugh about. Like, yes. as silly as that may sound to some people, for me, like that really just brings me so much joy to have community. I, I love that. And you are so good at bringing people together to be that community for you and for each other. Like I just think of you hosting bachelor (laughs) nights and having people over. You're so good at it. And so being able to observe your life, I can totally see that you value that. Um, When you're lonely or for listeners that maybe are lonely during this time of like social distancing or even maybe if they're a military spouse living abroad, what's your best advice for those most lonely times? My best advice is to reach out to your friends. Um, I think something in Korea, I always had an excuse. So during the daytime, all my friends were sleeping. So I could only talk to them in the morning or at night and making it a priority. Like if that's something, if you're like me and you realize that that is something that really brings joy in your life, then make it a priority. Like if you need to set an alarm on your phone, set an alarm on your phone at 6 p.m. every night, call a friend and catch up, call somebody that you haven't spoken to in a while. And it's also don't wait for someone else to call you. If you want to be a friend, I think one of the biggest things is if you want a friend, you have to be a friend. And like some of my friends, I know, um, in talking about them with other friendships that have, cause I got very invested in being an adult and making friends because a lot of people would actually ask me that when I moved to Korea is how do you make friends as an adult? And part of me was like, I don't know, you got any tips, but <laughs> <laughs> looking at it now, a lot of people would ask like, what do I do? Like, but they're not reaching back to me. And I think the best way to make friends is be a friend and you can't expect somebody else to step up to the plate. I think sometimes you have to step up to the plate. And if that friendship is reciprocated, then that's amazing. You have a friend. And if not, then don't give up. (laughs) Like if that's something that's really important to you, then don't give up. Keep reaching out to your friends and make sure that you are invested in them. You know, if you have a friend that's going on a job interview, hey, call them up. Ask how that job interview went. You, if you want somebody to do that for you, then you need to ask them too. You need to not let it be a one-sided friendship and really be involved and invested in other people's lives and give them the support that they need. And for me personally, I, even as a kid, I've noticed this, that I get joy out of giving other people joy. And so I really feed off of that energy. And so for me personally, that's something that has helped kind of keep me afloat, if you will, when you're social distancing or you're living on the other side of the world is check in on your friends. Have, I think in an hour or so, um, in two hours, I'm all my college girlfriends and I were having a 
FaceTime happy hour, the rules were simple. Call in at 6 p.m. and make sure you have a drink in hand. And we're just going to so check cute. in on one another. And it's little things like that that, you know, they go such a long way for me personally. And right now the situation is out of our hands. You know, you can't, you shouldn't be having face-to-face interactions and making TikToks and dancing around with your girlfriends <laughs> as much as I would love to be doing that. Um, that's just, that's out of my hands right now. And that doesn't mean I have to surrender and give up. It means, okay, I can't do this. What's the next best thing? Let's get creative. Yeah, right. Absolutely. I love it. I know. And sometimes in those loneliest times, that's like when you don't even have the motivation to reach out. So you have to force yourself to do it. I think that's such great advice. Absolutely. And if it's, I think it's also recognizing, um, when you're feeling lower and recognizing when you're feeling more motivated. And so if you're in that moment, like I know personally, I would wake up sometimes and be like, Oh, I want to talk to so-and-so today, but I know they're doing this tomorrow. So I literally wrote it in my calendar. I'd be like, call so-and-so 6 PM, set an alarm. And I made a point to clear my schedule at that time and call that person. Because otherwise, if you let it, life will always get in the way. And I feel like you just, if something is a priority to you, then you need to prioritize it. And for me, friendships and community is a priority. So I try and prioritize it. You are great at it. (laughs) I think that some (laughs) listeners that aren't in the blogger sphere would actually be maybe surprised or interested to hear that there is such a community of bloggers that are friends. Um, I love that you show the example of having that community over competition mindset. And I know you said that you've loved giving joy and being friends with everyone since you were a little girl. So is that just the mindset that you've always had or have you learned that? Honestly, as a kid, and I wish I, <laughs> I wish I still had it as strong as a kid, but I was such a social butterfly. And my mom would always, always tell me that she'd remind me, Jasmine, just remember you're not superwoman because I would try and do everything I can. And she'd remind <laughs> me that I needed to take care of myself because just oh. as a kid, like my mentality was always, how can I make other people feel better. Like if somebody else needed something, if I was capable of doing it, then I would do everything in my power to do it. I know in elementary school, I mean, this was just my mindset as a kid. I don't know what spurred it on. I will probably attribute it to like going to Bible study as a kid and just knowing like as a child, there wasn't an option. That was just the thing to do for me. I think in all my elementary school years, I rode the special ed bus because there was this kid in my school that was in a wheelchair. And I remember one day, I think this was in second grade. One day our teacher asked us if somebody would volunteer. So he didn't have to ride to the school field trip alone in the special ed bus. And for me, it was a no brainer. Of course I'll ride with him and keep him company. And it turned out that he really enjoyed my company and I rode with him every single time we had to go somewhere on a school bus for the remainder of elementary school. And there was this one time that he was out of school for two weeks. He had um, some health issues. So was in and out of the hospital. And I got a call at my house at, I think it was 7 30 PM. And mind you, I was in elementary school and my dad answered the phone and it was a boy asking for me. And I just remember my dad freaking out, 
thinking she is too young for a boyfriend. What boy is calling the house at 7.30 p.m. on a school night? And it was this kid from school just letting me know that he would be back in school in the next three days. And he wanted to make sure I wasn't too worried about him. And looking back on those stories, I don't think it touched me as much as it does now. And I just wish that I had that mindset still, you know, just like not even questioning doing the right thing and knowing that. I think you do. Thank you for saying that. But I I just, I always feel like there's more that I can do. And sometimes I'm reserved with it because I don't want to offend somebody. But as a kid, it just wasn't even an option. Like it wasn't even a question in my mind. If there was something I can do to help somebody, then I was the first one volunteering to do it. And like, if there was a broken chair at a table, I'd be the first one to sit in that broken chair because I didn't want anyone else to sit in it. I wanted everyone else to be comfortable at the table. Oh my goodness. (laughs) And like, that is so sweet. That was just my mindset. And now I think if I walked into a room and saw a broken chair, I'd like dart to get the good chair. So I hope I'm in it. But as a, I sometimes just wish I had that mindset as a kid and that, you know, just if it, if you can do it, do it. That is fantastic. Oh my goodness. Oh, wow. You know, life happens, right? Life we kind happens. of shift our mindset sometimes. Definitely. Okay. So I know it. Um, a while back, you were talking about how when you were in Korea, you kind of at times wanted to like hold a sign that said, you know, like kids are not my purpose. I'll have them when I want them. There's there's more to me and there's more to, you know, women as a whole. But right now, what are you reminding yourself that you are more than? Right now, I think I'm just reminding myself that I'm more than a timeline. Uh, I, I'm very much a goal oriented person. And I do find that one way to keep myself motivated is by setting goals. And when things like a pandemic happens, my goals definitely are not going to be achieved. There's a lot of setbacks right now. There's a lot of, like we were talking about earlier, um, a lot of projects that are being put on hold that are being canceled as a big portion of my lifestyle is travel, all things are canceled. And that's just for the unforeseeable future. Like right now, I can't set a goal and say, okay, I understand that this setback is happening, but by this month, I'm hoping to set, get this these many projects in line and work this amount of hours or work this many collaborations because right now there's so much unknown. So right now I'm reminding myself that I'm so much more than a timeline. Um, and I don't need to prove myself. I, if I know, if I know that I'm doing the best that I can, given my circumstances, then that's all I can be doing right now. I can't, I know there's some attainable goals that I can set for myself personally while being at home and practicing social distancing. And I know there's so many things that I did set for myself at the beginning of this year that I just cannot achieve given the circumstances. But so for me, it's kind of finding a blend on how I can rearrange my goals and you know, if, if that means that maybe I take a step back and just take a breather every once in a while, then so be it. And that's okay. If I need to reset, then that's okay. And it's really just giving myself grace right now because again, like I'm very goal oriented and I know that a lot of my goals are 
going to either be pushed back or they're not going to be feasible given that I'm a travel and fashion blogger and can't travel. So right. yeah, so it's just kind of reminding myself that don't define yourself with work, define yourself with who you are. So I know that right now that shouldn't change my mindset. That shouldn't change my personality. That shouldn't change the fact that I care about my friends and my family. And so I just know that if I can do it, then I'm going to do it. And if I can't, then Amen. right now I can't do it. And that's okay. I know that there's a bigger plan at work and I just need to figure out the best use of my time because being a goal-oriented person and not being able to achieve your regular goals, like I want to keep my mind alert and in a positive space. So I just need to find feasible goals for myself right now. Absolutely. Giving yourself that grace is so important. We're all our own worst critics. Absolutely. And I mean, as one of your followers, but also as your friend, like getting to watch you, it seems like they're still doing all the good things. I mean, (laughs) you have gone on a trip recently and I know uh, in my heart of hearts that it'll pick right back up where it left off when, when the world is able to again. Um, So until the world picks back up where it left off after this craziness, (laughs) where can our listeners follow you? So you can follow me on Instagram. It's Jasmine Elias. Elias is my maiden name, so I'll spell that for you. It's J-A-S-M-I-N-E period E-L-I-A-S. Or you can go to my website and you can find all my social media handles there. It's www.jasmineelias.com. Yay. All right, guys. I am so thankful that you tuned in today. I have no doubt that Jasmine will have left you more positive and smiley than you were before. Remember to share a smile with someone today. Pick up the phone, FaceTime a friend, and be that friend for them. Thanks. We'll catch you next time.